Donna Tumiz with this week's message, God's Power Enables. As a student of the Faculty of Theology of Queen's College in Newfoundland, Canada, there was a prayer that I learned there that touched me. It was, Lord, open our hearts that we may discern your presence, go where you lead us, and act in the power of our baptism. The prayer spoke to me from the moment I first heard it. It captivated me, it touched something deep inside of me. As I continued reflecting on the prayer, I realized that the words that spoke to me most powerfully were the power of our baptism. I spent some time reflecting on that, trying to discern what is this power of our baptism. After struggling with it on my own, I prayed, Lord, what is this power? It was then that the Lord opened my mind to understand that this power was the Holy Spirit, the one who enables the gift that we receive at our baptism. The prayer that I had learned, ending with a petition to act in the power of our baptism then, was one that would lead to demonstrating just how much God's power enables. This week's message, in fact, is inspired by the epistle for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, 1 Corinthians 9, 16-23. Initially, I groaned when, through prayer, this was the reading that was assigned to me for reflection. I mean, the Gospel, Mark 1, 29-39, is a beautiful passage that speaks of Jesus' power and his focus on the work that he had come to earth to do. The lesson Isaiah 40, 21-31 boasts of the power of the Lord Most High. So fantastic is that power that it outlasts the strength and endurance of youths. As it assures us in verse 31 that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Psalm 147 verses 1 to 12 and 21c responds to the declaration in Isaiah with a song of praise to God for his care of Jerusalem. So honestly, why did I have to have the difficult assignment of sharing on 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 23, in which Paul speaks of being a Jew to the Jews, being as one under the law to those under the law, and being as one outside the law to those outside the law. Beloveds, the simple answer is that God's power enables. Let me share with you the context of 1 Corinthians 9. It's written to the church in Corinth, to a people who were in conflict, the letter to the Corinthians. The church, the body of believers, was situated in a Greco-Roman city. It was a major center for trade and communication. Paul had already left Corinth when this new Christian community began to experience divisions, disagreements on the new life they were to lead as Christians, and challenges in their approach to worship and confusion about the theology Paul had left them. While the church was was a mixed congregation, most of Paul's converts were of the lower class and lacked education. 
the blend of ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, and of the pagan environment in which the community lived exposed them to several intense conflicts in ideology and practice of the new Christian faith. The outcome of this was a letter which they sent to Paul requesting guidance on several issues. These issues were divisions in ideology, sexual conduct, consumption of food and particular food that had been offered to idols, conduct in religious gatherings, and the resurrection. The letter is actually divided into five parts according to the areas of conflict. In addition to this mess in which the church had found itself, was also the burning question of why they needed to financially support Paul. It is for this reason that Paul speaks of rights in verse 18. What then is my reward? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. It turns out that there were others who were happily receiving monetary contributions for preaching, but Paul was not among them. So there was quite a bit that Paul found himself having to resolve. The church in Corinth, in fact, found itself in very much the situation we find ourselves in today. There are so many ideologies circulating that we don't know what to believe. There are denominations in Christianity prompting unhappy divisions among the faithful, with the evangelicals claiming to be the real followers of Christ, the liturgical churches preserving that they are upholding the purity of the worship, and the charismatics professing to be the true worshippers, for they know the action of the Holy Spirit. Dear ones, did we ever begin to think that God's action is single-faceted, responding only to one need, one desire, or one preference? When did we stop believing that God's power enables and enables worship that meets us at our point of need? Coupled with the unhappy discords within the body of Christ, there are the influences from other religions and schools of thought that have nothing to do with Christ. Influences that are leading God's people astray. Influences that emphasize and puff up the individual without paying due tribute to the true power, the Spirit of God. Influences that seek to manipulate for personal advancement. Added to this, other questions. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Let's begin by borrowing words from the Savior himself, shall we? When the young rich man called him good teacher, Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. On that basis, I say this. God is a God who allows freedom of choice. Choice comes with consequences. So while we are free to choose what we do, we are not free to choose the consequences of our choices. In addition to this, there is the reality of communal sin and its consequences. 
The consequence of sin is not limited to the sins that the individual commits, but include the sins of humanity. It is why we are encouraged to repent not only of our sins, but also the sins of our brothers and sisters, and of those who have gone before and will come after us. But, to the extent that the church in Corinth was almost a foreshadowing of the challenges we face today in our world, does that mean that the more things change, the more they remain the same? Beloveds, that is not the language of a believer who has been instructed as written in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready to make her defense to anyone who demands from her an account of the hope that is in her. And I'm sure that Paul appreciated these words, hence his continued efforts to take the message to all. And while these words were written after Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul understood them, for this instruction emanated from God's truth, and God's truth is as God is, unchanging. And Paul, after having been confronted with the power of that truth, power that led to his conversion as he was fully on his way to exterminate all followers of Christ, found himself compelled by God's power that enables to preach the gospel. As he exclaims in verse 16, I proclaim the gospel, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. That power would enable Paul to do just as he shares later in the text in verse 22, to become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. Dear ones, God's power enables. God's power enabled the conversion of the heart that was bent on killing all Christians, the followers of the way. In that conversion, God's power enabled him to become all things so that all might have a chance to be reunited with the Father, through the Son by the power of the Spirit. That power enabled him to preach the gospel, free of charge, not making full use of his rights in the gospel. So rather than saying, the more things change, the more things remain the same, beloveds, I say this, maybe we are just a little slow to learn the lesson, hence the need for those who will always go to the people to bring the gospel, to take the gospel to them. And so today, God calls us to respond in a fashion similar to Paul, to be all things to all people, so that we might by all means save some. We are called to expand our reach, to reimagine our approach, to go deeper. We are called to speak new languages to new people. We are called, beloveds, to deeper understanding, to see in a new way and to hear in a new way. Most importantly, we are called to do all that trusting that when we respond, we act not in our own strength, 
but in the enabling power of God. We are called, beloved, to act in the power of all baptism. That enabling power understands all, sees all, and knows all. For that enabling power emanates from the Father who created all things. That power, therefore, can transform us to be who we need to be for God's people, whoever they are. That power also enables us to get to God's people, wherever they are. God's power enables all things, for greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Our only challenge now, beloveds, is to believe that God's power enables. As I go, I leave you with the prayer. Lord, open our hearts that we may discern your presence, go where you lead us, and act in the power of all baptism.